0: So, put our Bibles to John chapter thirteen. Before we get into this, I'd like to um, talk a little bit about the transition of reminding you that John's gospel is divided into five different sections. Section one goes back to chapter one, verses one to eighteen where the whole, it begins with the deity of of Christ. This is John's goal, and that's how the book is going to end. The second section is chapter 1, verse 19 through chapter 4. We have the presentation of the Son of God, um, primarily talking about John the Baptist and his ministry. The third section we just finished with chapter 12, and this would have been the opposition to the Son of God. Now, if you just go back to chapter 12 uh, real quickly, it was at this point, oh, right around before he prophesized Isaiah in verse 38 and 40, it says in verse 36, these things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. This ends the section where he is um, speaking to those who are in opposition to him. He will no longer speak to anyone but his disciples until the Lord actually comes again. So as we end chapter 12, so 5 through 12 would have been the largest of the sections. Now, beginning with chapter 13, 13 through 17, we find the personal words to the disciples. I'm gonna come back, we'll read verse one and uh, we'll see the contrast. The last last section, five, is 18 through 21, the crucifixion and resurrection. But as we look at this, um, this part tonight, the Lord Jesus gave four major discourses or studies Three of these we've already been studying in the Gospel of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. That would have been one of them, chapters five through seven. Um, The mysteries of the parable, where he talks about in Matthew 13 what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a treasure hidden in a field, and he explains, so that's one chapter by itself. Then we have what we call the Olivet Discourse. That's Matthew 24, and 25, and now we come to the Upper Room Discourse, which is recorded in John, which I just mentioned, from 13 to 17. This discourse is one of the greatest that our Lord ever gave, it's the longest, and it is meaningful for us today because he took his own into the Upper Room and revealed new truths to them. Uh, it is still Brand new and fresh for us today. There's nothing quite like it. His public ministry has ended, and he's been rejected. And again, those last two prophecies from uh, chapter 12, where he quotes Isaiah about being rejected when he came. If you're taking notes, John one eleven says he came into his own. His own received him not. Then, now he talks about personal Um, conversation for his love for those that have followed him. And uh, if we just read verse one, you'll see that we're making a big um, transition from the opposition, where now he's just talking to his disciples. Verse one, chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So please notice the transition. One of opposition, no longer talking to, to the multitudes, the scribes and the Pharisees. They've rejected him, and we enter into a whole new one where it's just to his disciples. So it's very personal, and um, as we read the first five verses here, Um, let's pick it up where he says he loved them to the end, and then they're at the supper, this is not the last supper, Um, and supper being ended, and the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot. We're going to get sidetracked here tonight with uh, questions that every Christian wonders about. And that is um, this whole other realm that's demonic. It's making, um, I'm going to show a little video clip that's coming out of Disneyland right now, the new miniseries. Uh, questions about can a Christian be demon-possessed? Or can he um, be inhabited by a demon? Uh, we'll get to that when we find here we're introduced to Supper being ended and the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas. Now, it's already in his heart, but we're gonna get to a verse where it says that the devil enters him, and these are two different things. It's one, to have the devil put something in your heart. It's another thing, to have a person be possessed by Satan himself. Now, the only one, other one for sure that I know of besides Judas Iscariot is the Antichrist, when he comes, and, um, but supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, now Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and he was going to God, assurance that he has and confidence in what he's about to say to them. He knows exactly what's going on. He, know not, he knows uh, the rest of the scriptures. Nothing can change what's going to happen. So um, when we read in earlier parts of the gospel where it says no man ever spoke like this man, the reason the Lord spoke with such authority and with such confidence is a certainty of what he knew was going to happen. And as I've pointed out, without exception, when you study the Gospel of John, whoever he is talking to as an individual, he will tell that person something that only they think they know. And he does it to let them know that he is who he says he is. Now, I might say this a couple times tonight about the importance of prophecy. We're gonna read in just a little bit um, I've told you, he's going to say, I told you these things ahead of time. Why? So when it happens, you'll believe. That's why prophecy is so important. So when you have to be a student of prophecy to see what the Lord has said, but then when it comes to pass, the purpose of prophecy is that you would be stronger in your faith. And I think we were talking about it in men's prayer. Um, uh, Elijah... I think we got sidetracked in Elisha. And we talked about um, what's going to happen during the great tribulation, where the two witnesses come and there's no rain for three and a half years. And you go, know, you gotta be crazy, no rain for three and a half years. Has that ever happened before? The answer is, absolutely it's happened before. Why did it happen in the first place? I believe part of that reason is so that when you read the book of Revelation, We don't make the same mistake that most people who call them some quote-unquote Christians take an allegorical or spiritualize the book of Revelation. It was never meant to be allegorized. It was never meant to be um, spiritualized. It is to be read for exactly what it says. Oh, Dwight, you gotta be kidding me. Demon locusts and... Chapter 9, coming out and tormenting men for five months, uh, causing them to have great pain, but they can't die. They want to die, and they can't die. I mean, some guy's going to put a gun to his head and pull the trigger, and he's not going to be killed. That's exactly what it says. And then you read, it's not going to rain for three and a half years in Revelation 11. Well, it happened before. So Jesus is going to be talking here about Judas Iscariot. And he says so that the scriptures can be fulfilled so that when it happens, he's talking about the betrayal. When it happens, you're going to see it. I'm going to tell you now. <laughs> and then when you see it happen, what's going to go, oh, you prophesied that. So again, I can't emphasize enough the importance when you teach the scriptures that you point out where prophecy is, either past tense we'll go to the past tense tonight with the 30 pieces of silver in Judas and then where it actually was fulfilled so I left off in verse 3 Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going to God he rose from supper laid aside his garment took a towel and girded himself and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Now he is their lord and master. He'll, they'll acknowledge that in just a little bit. So he, he took off his garment, set it aside, and it says he took a towel in which he girded himself and he is now... Um, Going to, the reason for this, let me give you the uh, the purpose for verses one through five. If you go on to 15, it tells us, as he does this, in verse 15, I've given you an example. So what he's about to do is playing out a part by himself because it's an example for them to follow. So now it's one-on-one. And... Um, Why is he doing it? Uh, Because he loved them. Now, I'm going to take you back to the book of Exodus at this point and have you look at Exodus chapter 21. So I'm going to have you turn back there, Exodus 21. And I want to talk about slaves in the first six verses and a relationship between a slave and his master. Verse 1, now these are the judgments which you have set before them. Now if you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve for six years, and in the seventh year he shall go out free and pay nothing. And if he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife will go with him. If his master has given him a wife during this period of time, and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children uh, shall be her masters, and she shall go out by himself. Are you following all this? But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, I love my wife, I love my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the judges, he shall also bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his servant shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him notice, forever. Why? Because he has to. No, because he wants to. We call what Paul when call Paul himself a bond servant. This is what he's thinking about. This is what's happening right here. If you're taking notes, Second Corinthians five verse fourteen says. The love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. Paul is saying, I'm doing what I'm doing for one reason, because I love Jesus. Not because I have to. Paul called himself a bond servant, And now we're talking motive. Why we do what we do. So the rights of a servant, he knows that after he served his time, the law in Israel, you could have this if you got yourself in debt or trouble, whatever. You could sell yourself off, but only for six six years. Seventh year, you go free. And then I like the detail that talk about a book that tells you how to live, all the way from the Old Testament, why it was the way it was. And um, it, it gives you every piece of advice exactly knowing what to do and how to do it. And here's a perfect example right here of after six years, you get to go free. Well, what if you get married to somebody else that's in that household? Well, um, if you want to go after the six years, fine, but you got to go out by yourself. But all of a sudden, this guy really likes and loves his master. And verse six says he loves him so much um, that he's going to stay there not for seven years, not for six years, he's going to be a servant forever to this master. How do you know for sure? Well, take his ear and stick it up against a pole, <laughs> and then you take an awe. It was a, the first time they had uh, men being having their ears pierced. I think that was it. They're doing a lot today, but <laughs> back then, that was your mark, and that showed you that I'm doing this of my own free will. All right, let's go back to John and tie that together where the Lord is saying, I'm giving you guys an example of I am your master. Well, let's keep on on reading here because Peter's gonna have a problem with this. Peter usually does. Verse six, then he came to Simon Peter and Peter said, Lord, do you think you're gonna, I'm adding to this, do you think you're gonna wash my feet? And Peter and the Lord answered and said to him, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter, being Peter, uh, wouldn't accept that. He said, Lord, you will never wash my feet. Lord said, okay, if I don't wash your feet, Peter, then you don't have anything to do with me. And Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to have his feet washed, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Now he's making a distinction, and he's starting to build up and go back to Judas. So Peter capitulates here, and he gives in. He said, if that's the way it is, Lord, then give me a shower, not just my feet. Give me the whole thing. And I said, no, Peter, all I'm asking for right now is again, I'm giving you an example. You're not gonna get it all yet, but as you go on later on in life, um, you're going to be ministering to many people. These 12 that he had vested his life in, he's going to teach them and pass on. um, I think a good example that's coming to mind right now is King David in the Old Testament. Um, When he was running from Saul, remember everybody who was in debt and destitute and disturbed, they had all these problems, they walked with David for years. But at the end, when you read about these same men, they're referred to as David's mighty men. There was a transition that had gone from the way a lot of people do when they come to the Lord. They're in distress, they're in debt, and they have all these problems. And then they learn an example. And the Lord is telling Peter, Peter, you're, you're not gonna get all this quite yet. Trust me on this one, Peter. Later on, you will understand. And later on, you know, Peter was always arguing with the Lord, so on and so forth. He takes his hardened fishermen from the Galilee. And the word, when you read uh, First and Second Peter, the word that reoccurs more than any other word is a word, Who knows it? Precious. And you just don't see Simon Peter, this gnarly um, old fisherman, and that's his verbiage. This is precious, the things of the Lord. You don't get it now, Peter, but you're gonna get it eventually. Right now, I'm just giving you an example. And verse 11, for he knew he said, not everybody's clean. He, he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when he had finished, he washed their feet, uh, taken his garment, and, and he sat down again, and he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? Do you understand what's just happened? He said, you, you guys call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. I am your Lord, I am your master. If I then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. What was this now that we're one-on-one private time, what was the big problem as they're under the opposition? They're arguing about who's gonna sit on his right hand and left hand. They were jockeying for position, they, their, their mind frame was not servanthood. It was um, positionhood, seeking a place of prominence and doing whatever it takes to get it. In James and John's case, it was putting mom up to go up to Jesus and said, no, obviously you're the Messiah. Obviously the kingdom has come. How about my two boys sit at your right and your left hand? They didn't get it. They didn't see it. Peter, what I'm telling you right now, you don't get right now, but you're going to get it later, after I'm gone. Now he establishes just who he is as he sets this example. He said, I am your Lord, it's true. And um, I am your teacher, that's true. For I have given you now an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly I say to you a servant is not greater than his master nor is he who is sent greater than him who sent him. Now if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Um, We're going to have a completely different study on Sunday morning but I'm going to be using the same verses from chapter 13. That's going to be a completely different one. I'll give you a couple teasers Tonight, just where we're headed when we when we get there. But for right now, verses one through seventeen, he's speaking one on one. He takes his own whom he loved, and he loved to the to the end. Now we switch gears, and in verse eighteen he says, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know who I have chosen. But that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Again, I gotta point this out. Here we have Bible prophecy. He's saying what's about to happen, he's got Judas in mind, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you this before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. What they don't know yet is that Judas Iscariot is going to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And what he's telling them right now is there's a prophecy. The prophecy is uh, from Psalm 41, verse nine. I'm gonna take you back there in a second. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. And I'm gonna tell you about this guy named Judas. So that when you see this actually happen and you see Judas come to the garden and kiss me on the cheek and him betraying me for these 30 pieces of silver, know that I told you ahead of time. And um, what's the purpose of prophecy? That when we see it fulfilled, it should cause us to be stronger in our faith and beliefs. Good place for it, Amen. I, guys, I can't tell you how important Bible prophecy is. And it says so right here. I'm telling you now, it's going to happen. And when you see it happen, then you're gonna, your faith is going to be greater uh, than it was before. Let's turn to Psalm 41. I got ministered to today, studied for this, because I got two Bible studies. And it's one chapter, and one's for Sunday, and one's for tonight. But the transition for the study for tonight that goes to Sunday hinges on this prophecy in Psalm 41, verse 9, where Jesus said, so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. He quotes a Psalm of David. In verse 9, he says, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Very shortly, Peter's gonna wanna know who it is that's gonna betray him, and they're gonna find out because of who Jesus gives the piece of bread to. He says, I'm gonna tell you this ahead of time, so that when it happens, you're gonna believe that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Well, the question is, what scriptures? The answer is um, Psalm 49 uh, Psalm 41, verse nine. Even my own familiar friend, Judas had been with, with the Lord for three years and um, saw all the mighty miracles, but he was a thief and he remained a thief. Um, who knows? We could get so sort of sidetracked here, try to think of his motive. Maybe um, this guy could actually get us out from underneath uh, the authority of Rome we really don't know. We do know that all this was foretold. So, But this is what interested me today when I read this verse. David is writing it. David is writing this from his perspective. So the Bible study on Sunday, this is a double, what I call a double prophecy. It also is being fulfilled uh, as David is writing it down here about his life. But from a New Testament perspective, Jesus is pointing this out, I'm gonna be betrayed. That the scriptures might be fulfilled. And when you go back to the scriptures and you read it and where it's being said, David is the one who's writing it down. He's writing it for his own personal reasons with something he went through. He's not thinking about Judas Iscariot. He has no ideas about Judas Iscariot. And he's he's thinking about somebody else that was a friend of his, that was loyal to him, not an enemy, that raised up his hand against David. So the thing about the Bible is this, the deeper you go, the deeper it gets. And you can stumble across these little nuggets. I stumbled across this one today. I never put two and two together with this one. But as I read it and I thought about it, and the Lord started talking to me about this, David's... I know what David went through, and that's where we're going on Sunday, and that's all the teaser you're going to get from, <laughs> from the ones in our study. But hopefully, it'll pique your interest, and in that there are double prophecies, and um, and here is a, a perf- perfect example of it. But that's all the farther we're going with that tonight. So let's go back to um, John 13, and. The reason 19, again, I, got, I cannot emphasize enough. Now, I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am He. Now, we all know what Judas is eventually going to do he's going to sell out. But that also is a prophecy. So now I want you to turn to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah is the last, the second to the last book in the Old Testament. The last book in the Old Testament is Malachi. But Zechariah chapter 11, the first part of of this is the rejection of the Lord. Um, And that's verses one through, I would say, 10 or so. Just like we've seen in, in the division of John, we have him being rejected by his own, then we have two verses that are slipped in there in uh, Zechariah and it has to do with Judas Iscariot. So in verse 12 it says, that I said to him, If it's agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out my wages, 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, that pricely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. Now eventually, we're going to connect some dots here. Again, things that that um, I've never seen when you put these two studies together, how much they actually gel in an incredible way. And the similarities, again, I'm teasing a little bit for Sunday, uh, between Judas Iscariot. What did he do? Well, he sold out. He betrayed the Lord for the 30 pieces of silver. After it was all said and done, um, he can't live with himself. So he takes it back to the to those that gave it to him. He said, and they said, we can't have it. This is blood money. And we can't have blood money in the treasury. So what they did is they bought a potter's field with it. And so what exactly what happened with Judas Iscariot is foretold in the book of Zechariah. And they have this 30 pieces of silver. And again, I'm going to stop there because it ties into a little bit on where, we, where we're going to be going on Sunday. And I don't want you guys figuring out my Sunday Bible study while it's only Wednesday night. You're going to have to just wait. So, Zechariah... Let's go back to. Let's go back to uh, John thirteen, and now we're reading verses twenty one. Let's go back to verse twenty. Most assuredly I say to you, he who. Most assuredly I say to, you he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. And now, when Jesus had said these things, all right, he's just given them an example. Peter doesn't like it. He understands it. Okay, I don't understand it now. He told me I'll understand later. Now we have the Lord come right out and two people are gonna know who the the traitor is. So let's... Read verses, Um, hmm. let me, before I get into this section, go back and ask a question about being cleansed. If the whole idea here is, uh, have you ever heard that, I call call it Christianese, the terminology, uh, your Christian walk, have you ever heard that expression before? Only Christians use it. Or your walk, how is your walk with the Lord going? So we have the idea here of walking in the the Christian walk. And um, (laughs) like Paul says in in Romans 7, um, you know, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I should do, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who can deliver me from this predicament, this problem of this human flesh that that I wrestle with on a daily basis? And then he says, but I thank God through Jesus Christ. And then Romans 8, 1 says, therefore, there's no condemnation. We're gonna be talking about spiritual warfare in a little bit. And probably Satan's greatest tactic is that of condemnation. You call yourself a Christian And just look at your life. Look at your walk. Those feet are dirty, man. And um, I'd give up now. You know, just, you can't do this. So the whole idea here of the feet washing, I think is a great analogy of our walk with the Lord. And the question is, as we walk our walk today, how does the Lord wash us today? If you're taking notes, You might want to jot down these. One of them is Psalm 119, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways by taking heed according to the word? How do you keep a man from sinning? I think every parent should be taking their kids through the book of Ecclesiastes. It It was written for his son. Solomon wrote it for his son. How do you keep yourself out of sin? By keeping yourself in the word of God. Good place for an amen. Another one, uh, just well, right there in chapter 13, just go to chapter 15, verse 3. What does it say there? You have already clean, you're already clean because of what? The word which I have spoken to you. The transforming cleansing power of the word. And then, uh, we have this one. Um, Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. So, what is he doing again? This is an example. It's a picture: water on the feet, getting clean. If they—that's Ephesians five. It is the word of God that will keep the believer clean. We got the saying, Sin will keep you from this book, and this book will keep you from sin. Another good place for an amen. And so we have um, How does the Lord wash our feet today? Uh, by standing, uh, no matter what your feelings are telling you, no matter what you think you know or don't know, like Peter, a lot of us are like Peter, we think we know better. If it's in conflict with what this book says, guess what? You're wrong and the book is right. <laughs> but that puts you on solid ground. You won't be unstable. You'll be of sound mind. And even if you feel... Um, a lot of people are, you know, Josh has got a real bad head cold right now. He's been in for a couple of days. The bug's going around. And I don't know about you, but if I'm not feeling well physically, it tags along spiritually. I do not feel spiritual in the slightest way. I feel carnal, and I know, and the, the scripture that always comes to mind, Dwight, you're walking by sight and not by faith right now. My word says I'm working all things out together for good. So what are you worried about? What are you complaining about? Oh yeah, I forgot about that one, Lord. The one I like a lot today, with so much going on in the world, is "Take no thought for tomorrow. Sufficient for today is the evil that therein." You got enough to worry about just today, without worrying about anything tomorrow. You know how liberating that is if you actually do that, and just say, "Well, that's not a suggestion." Take no thought for tomorrow. Sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. Worry about tomorrow when it gets to be tomorrow. I'm going to ask for another amen. So we find um, that's how the Lord is washing us today. Now we get to this whole section with Judas, verse 21. And when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, if you have the old King James, it's verily, verily, I say to you, one of you will be betray me. Now, when it said his heart was troubled, we have deeper insight because of Psalm 41, verse 9. If it was an enemy, I could have handled it. But no, it was one I ate with every night. It was one that followed me, and it was one that he loved. When Judas betrays him, he asks Judas a question. Judas, betrayest thou me with a kiss? There's a lot there. Then the disciples looked at one another and they were perplexed about whom he spoke. In the other gospels, they said amongst themselves, Lord, is it me? Lord, is it me? So this is a conversation that's going around the room. And there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now this is how John always refers to himself in the first person. He doesn't say, hi, I'm John and I'm leaning on the Lord right now. No, he said the disciple whom Jesus loved was leaning on Jesus' shoulder. You know, He's sitting right next to him on his left-hand side. The guy sitting on his right-hand side would have been where up the place of honor would have been. So where's Judas? What position has he been given at this table? Sitting at the right hand side of the Lord. Then Simon Peter, now he's on the other end. Um, When we go to Israel we go to um, um, Abraham's, um, what do they call it? Um, Genesis land, is that it? Yeah, Genesis land, where we ride the camels and we actually sit down on the way they would have sat down and had this meal and it's sort of like in a circle and if uh, Peter's sitting on, on one end of it and he's not where John is John's right next to the Lord and then I can just see Peter doing this Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was whom he spoke oh, I'd love to see this one here's Peter John 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 and John, he, John finally gets, Peter gets his attention. He says, ask him who it is. And John picks up on it. And, and he leaned back on Jesus' breast. I can see him doing that. And he said, in sort of kind of whispering, I suppose, in his ear, Lord, who is it? Comes right out and asks him, who is it? The amazing thing is, as the Lord tells him. Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. All of a sudden, Psalm 41, verse 9, even comes more. So when I ate bread with, directly there. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Simon Iscariot, the son of Simon. So can you imagine John's jaw dropping at this point? He knows. John knows. Now after the piece of bread Satan entered him. Now I'm going to get a little sidetracked here with this because we actually have uh, the the devil is not omnipresent like the Holy Spirit. He has not always been. He's a created being. Um, and the only place in the scriptures that we find that he enters into someone literally is here and in uh, the book of Revelation with the Antichrist. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. The Lord knows what's gonna happen. What did he tell the disciples? I'm gonna tell you beforehand what's gonna happen here, guys, and then when it happens, then you're gonna believe, so. But no one knew at the table for what reason he said this to him. So he's obviously he looks at Judas, he says, Judas, what you gonna do? Do quickly. The devil has entered him. Now Judas is scared, is demon possessed by Lucifer himself. And nobody knows what's really going on. Um for some they didn't know what. To say, some thought because Judas had the money box that Jesus said to him, um, buy those things we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So they're, guess- they're guessing. They don't know what's going on. Judas is taking off. Why is Judas taking it off for? I don't know. He's gonna go buy some food for the Passover meal or something, who knows? And having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately and it was night. So here we have Judas at this point um, taking off, and this is where the betrayal comes in, and this is where he makes the deal uh, to sell the Lord out. Now at this point here, I do want to get a little sidetrack and talk about um, demon possession and demon oppression. Here we have Judas being inhabited by demons. I believe that um, the world is seeing more and more demonic activity being openly displayed. And um, my wife sent me a, um, she's always sending me these, Articles on the Middle East and what's happening here and what's happening there, and I looked at them and I, I said, "Honey, this one I'm actually going to work into the study because it's it's applicable to what I want to talk about about the reality of the difference between can a Christian be demon possessed is a question, or can he just be oppressed, and is it possible?" at a young age, to be open to the occult, biblically speaking. What I'm about to show you is from Disneyland. It's called the Owl House. It's gonna be on Disneyland's own channel. So Disneyland Plus is starting a series. It's not a one-time movie. It's a series, and a series is how, as a young person, you can become a witch. You heard me. (laughs) There's stuff that I'm saying today I don't believe I'm saying myself. But rather than what I I found out, if if you go to the bottom of this article that explains what's happening with um, the influence that Disneyland already has on the world, much less our, our kids. Now they have their own station and I want our people at Calvary Chapel of Appleton and those who watch us When the Lord says, watch, I want you to know what to watch for. So we're having a Bible study tonight about Satan entering Judas Iscariot. And what the scripture says about, like in Deuteronomy 18, when you enter into the land, you shall not learn to do the things that they did because that's the reason I'm driving them out. Sorcery. Having your sons or daughters pass through the fire. Uh, Being involved with familiar spirits. Well, what's a familiar spirit? Paul got ticked off one day because some guy was making his living. Um, this girl had a familiar spirit and she was prophesying and they were making money off of it. And this went on day after day and finally Paul had enough. And he turned around and he said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus and the familiar spirit had to leave and the guys that were making all the money off of her couldn't make any more money. So they caused this great big riot. That's what a, a familiar Spirit has the ability and knows things because they're multidimensional. And that'll twist your head, won't it, just by saying the words multidimensional. And there is no time, space, or matter in the heavenly realm. Sorcery and witchcraft, Um, that's going to be a weekly series that is going to suck the young people in just because of the way they're, they're portraying it out. So the deceiver is very subtle. Um, he deceived Eve in the garden. How, how did that all come down? That's what's happening um, um, current time um, just, just began. Um, turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter 12. One-third of Jesus' ministry was casting demons out of people. And we read about it, about it often. in The the legion uh, in the land of, of Gadarene. And we find um, I've had Christians believe that they were uh, demon-possessed. Let me just put it as... Clearly and brightly as I can, actually I just made a pun, light and darkness can't dwell together. Let me just put it that way. Jesus said He's the light of the world, and my light is in you. And then darkness, on the other hand, is that of the ruler of darkness of the age, Ephesians six twelve says he's the ruler of the darkness of this age. It's impossible for it to be light and dark at the same time. They can't coexist. If you're a born-again Christian, there's no way you could be demon-possessed. Is that pretty clear? Having said that, it does not mean the Bible teaches a whole lot about demon oppression. So let me just give you some examples so that we have some biblical ground to um, stand on what I just said. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1 Paul has to, um, he's in a place of being used mightily by the Lord, but the Lord's got to keep him humble because he just had a trip to heaven. Uh, Chapter 12, verse 1, It's doubtless that profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I don't know. God knows. Such a one was cut out to the third heaven. I believe this is where they stoned Paul, that happened about 14 years earlier, and they left him for dead. I believe he did. I believe his spirit left the body. And he was taken to the third heaven. Now what's the first heaven? Well, you walk outside tonight and near, you breathe, and um, um, we look up and we see the heavens. And then you go into what the the second would be probably the galaxies and um, millions and billions of galaxies in what we call the heavens. And then there's the other dimension where there is no time, space, or matter. It's the place where Paul was taken here. I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to try to utter. Paul's basically saying here: there's no way I can put what I heard into words. No man should be able to even try to attempt it, because, as he says, my ways are so far above um, my ways are so far above your ways. And this world that we live in, heaven is so much farther than what anything we could ever think, dream, or imagine. What does it say? Eyes haven't seen, ears haven't heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for you? You haven't even thought about it in your wildest dreams. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I forbear lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me or hears me, from me. Verse seven, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me. Notice it doesn't say to possess me. To buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure. Here is biblical grounds for the apostle Paul being hassle is a good word to be used here, buffeted. What was it? People speculate, but we really don't know. Some think it was an eye problem that Paul had. Whatever it was, Paul wanted it gone. He didn't like it. And we read, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it is referring to the demon, might depart from me. It wasn't in me, but it was definitely a problem for Paul. And uh, he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And that's after the third time, the Lord finally answers him and says, No, Paul, I'm, I'm going to allow this to happen. For the same reason that the Lord allowed it to happen to Job, he allowed that to happen to Job. He couldn't touch Job until the Lord gave the green light for that to happen. So the Lord is allowing this to happen for what purpose? so that it would keep Paul humble and that he wouldn't be exalted even though he's been to heaven and back again. What's his reaction? Lord, all I wanted to hear was an answer. All I wanted to hear was your response. You told me, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast of in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities how many of us can say that? <laughs> I go through a fiery trial, and I'm not uh, taking pleasure in that. Uh, in persecutions in distress for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Turn with me to First uh, Peter chapter five, verse eight. We read here, "Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Who can I trip up tonight? Who's, who's um, um, not being vigilant? Who's not aware that uh, there's traps being set for you to destroy your walk with the Lord? Again, there's a terminology, your walk with the Lord. If you're taking notes, Ephesians 6:12. Again, oppression, but not possession. Ephesians 6:12 says for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. He's talking about demons. Against a, a spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Sometimes you're, just, you're going through something and you go, what in the world is this all about? What are these crazy thoughts coming into my head? You know that thoughts come into your head that are from the, your adversary? You know that's why the Bible says to bring every thought into captivity and then sift it through the word of God and you ask yourself this question, who's talking here? Uh, remember when David gave himself a good talking to? He said, to my soul, souls, He's talking to himself. That's one way. Then there's the voice of the Holy Spirit. My sheep hear my voice. And um, tells us to turn right, to turn left. If it lines up with what the word of God says, it could be the Lord speaking to us. But here it clearly says that we're in a wrestling match against spiritual hosts. And we call this spiritual warfare. And the way I understand things in these days, the more that you refuse to compromise with this book, the enemy knows exactly who he wants to target out. Good place for an amen. This is the thing that does all the cleansing. This is what gives us the answers to what spiritual warfare is all about. This is what gives us the answers to the question, can a Christian be possessed? No. Can he be oppressed? Oh yeah, can you be buffeted? You betcha. Can you go through spiritual warfare? Probably on a daily basis. And the more serious you are about the Lord, the more of a threat you are to him so you're more of a target. Who did Satan ask for, by the way, of all the disciples? He asked for Peter. Big mouth Peter. Peter, come on over here. Uh, Satan has asked for you so he can sift you like wheat. Why not Thomas? Why not Matthew? Why don't one of the other guys? Because Peter was always the one, wow, 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 wow. and it always led to usually a pretty good outcome. But Peter was the one that the devil said, he's asked for you. He didn't say, don't worry about it, I'm stronger than the devil. He just said, I'm just gonna pray for you, Peter, that your faith won't fail when this time comes. All right, we gotta go back and finish up our chapter. Um, verse thirty-one to thirty-five, and so when he had gone out, Jesus said, "Now the son of man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God also will glorify him in himself, and glorify him immediately." Little children, this is an uh, expression of John. <clears throat> And he uses with the Lord, I shall be with you a little while longer and you will seek me and you you will seek me and as I said to the Jews where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also may love one another. The Lord wants you to be zeroed in on this commandment that now he's talking to his boys. He says, I want you guys to love each other. James and John, no more arguing about who's gonna be on the right and the left. Instead, I want you to be like Peter. I want you to feed my sheep. And by this, you will know that you're my disciple if you love one another. Here's the litmus test. Oh, you'll know that you're saved if you speak in tongues. The Bible doesn't teach that. What the Bible does teach you'll know that you're saved if you have love for one another. Paul said, it's the love of Christ that compels me to do what I do. And then I will end with which I really believe should be the verses before chapter 14, but this is the way they chopped it up and put it together. I don't think they always got, the Bible is inerrant, where the chapter divisions are sometimes a question. Simon Peter said to him, "Lord, where are you going?" And Jesus answered him, "Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterwards." Peter was crucified just like the Lord, of course. And Peter said to him, "Lord, why why can I not follow you now? I'll I'll lay down my life for you." Again, that was Peter's strong suit. And Jesus answered and he finally tells him, will you lay down your life for my sake, Peter? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. And what a way to end a Bible study but the Lord foretelling exactly what's going to happen to Simon Peter. Good place for it to end. Let's stand and we'll close with a word of prayer. Oh Lord. Tonight, as we get our feet washed a little bit more and cleansed, as we go through your word, we have a little bit deeper, better understanding of uh, the warfare that exists. And um, we just uh, thank you for your word and the guidance and instruction that it gives us. So Lord, we just pray for Sunday's message, and we pray that you would go before us tonight and put that shield of protection around us, Lord. And give us discernment and wisdom uh, when, when we're being attacked uh, spiritually. So we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why not Matthew? Why not one of the other guys? Because Peter was always the one, wow, 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 wow. And it always led to usually a pretty good outcome. But Peter was the one that the devil... Said, he's asked for you. He didn't say don't worry about it. I'm stronger than the devil. He just said, I'm just gonna pray for you, Peter, that your faith won't fail when this time comes. All right, we gotta go back and finish up our chapter. Um verse thirty-one to thirty five And so when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God also will glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, this is an expression of John that he uses with the Lord. I shall be with you a little while longer, and you will seek me, and, you, uh, and you'll seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also may love one another. The Lord wants you to be zeroed in on this commandment, that now he's talking to his boys. He says, I want you guys to love each other. James and John, No more arguing about who's going to be on the right and the left. Instead, I want you to be like Peter. I want you to feed my sheep. And by this you will know that you're my disciple if you love one another. Here's the litmus test. Oh, you'll know that you're saved if you speak in tongues. The Bible doesn't teach that. What the Bible does teach, you'll know that you're saved if you have love for one another. Paul said, it's the love of Christ that compels me to do what I do. And then I will end with what I really believe should be the verses before chapter 14, but this is the way they chopped it up and put it together. I don't think they always got the Bible is inerrant where the chapter divisions are sometimes a question. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now but you shall follow me afterwards. Peter was crucified just like the Lord, of course. And Peter said to him, Lord, why why can I not follow you now? I'll, I'll lay down my life for you. Again, that was Peter's strong suit. And Jesus answered and he finally tells him, will you lay down your life for my sake, Peter? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. And what a way to end a Bible study but the Lord foretelling exactly what's going to happen to Simon Peter. Good place for it to end. Let's stand and we'll close with a word of prayer. Oh, Lord, tonight as we get our feet washed a little bit more and cleansed as we go through your word, we have a little bit deeper, better understanding of uh, the warfare that exists. And um, we just uh, thank you for your word and the guidance and instruction that it gives us. So Lord, we just pray for Sunday's message and we pray that you would go before us tonight and put that shield of protection around us, Lord, and give us discernment and wisdom Uh, when when we're being attacked uh, spiritually. So we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.